Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In this episode, we're delighted to bring you a conversation with Chris Sims, in which we discuss having company leaders use Scrum to drive an Agile transformation. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We're truly honored. I'm excited to be here. We know you are too modest to tell folks that you're a certified trainer, Agile coach, founder of Agile Learning Labs, and the co-author of two best-selling Scrum books. That said, please tell us more about yourself and what topics are top of mind for you right now. Yeah, boy, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I suppose I'd add that... um, you know, I've, I've done a few things in my life, been an auto mechanic, been a professional musician, and uh, I like to say I'm a recovering C++ developer. <laughs> uh, first started uh, doing the stuff that we now call Agile uh, just a little bit before we had that word, actually. It was probably back in uh, 2000 that I ran across the work of uh, Kent Beck and Ron Jeffries and Ward Cunningham and, and pretty much haven't looked back since. Uh, so that's that's me, uh, maybe more than people need to know, but that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what's on my mind at the moment uh, is guiding uh, company-wide scrum adoptions or agile transformations or kind of process improvement initiatives that are related to agile practices. Uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of helping a, a few companies do that right now. And... Uh, you know, there's there's some clear patterns that I'm I'm seeing, and I have some I have some strong feelings, and and you know some uh, open questions and things I'm I continue to be curious about. Yeah, it looks like uh, you have experienced some uh, agile transformations that uh, really were not agile or or not transformations. <laughs> uh, un- unfortunately, I've I've. Uh, been a participant in uh, agile transformations that uh, have run the gambit uh, in terms of what I might consider success from things that were really fantastic uh, to things that were, in my opinion, kind of disappointing. Although one of the stories I I sometimes share is that uh, probably the scrum adoption uh, that I, I always found to be the most disappointing uh, at the end of our engagement with that particular client, uh, we sat down and, you know, talked with the leaders and, and, and they were just gushing. They were like, oh, my goodness, things are so much better now. And, and I remember thinking, I guess it's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the perception is 90% reality. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I've, I've also, like I say, had the, had the honor of, of, being to being part of some that went really well and and there's some success patterns and I'd love to talk about those and I'm sure along the way we're going to talk about some of the anti patterns too. Sure. So uh, one of the things I guess uh, just to get a segue into that was uh, you were mentioning uh, earlier that there are some benefits for the organizations when leaders use scrums themselves. So would you like to shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always my, uh, 
first recommendation when I'm working with a leadership team that wants to guide their, their organization uh, into adopting Scrum is uh, great. The leaders should really start by adopting Scrum. Uh, and I find that, uh, you know, the, the, the reasons I advocate for this are twofold. One is that organizational transformation and, and you know, change uh, is actually the kind of work that Scrum lends itself to very well. It is complex work and, and Scrum mm -hmm. is really good for complex work. And it's complex work that requires uh, multiple specialists to do coordinated work in order to create the desired outcome. Uh, you know, when we're building software products, right, those specialists are people like, oh, I don't know, front-end developers, back-end developers, testers, data people, documentation people, things like that. Uh, at the organizational level, uh, it's leaders of various departments and, you know, uh, human resources and finance and, and even marketing and sales uh, that need to be involved in order for the, you know, the organizational change to go well. So on one hand, it's the kind of work that, that you know, Scrum is well suited to. On the other hand, the reason that I, you know, the other reason that I really advocate for it is that um, when the leadership team is using Scrum to do their work, they come from a much stronger position uh, when they're asking the people that report up through them to adopt Scrum. Because instead of saying, do what we say, they're saying, well, do what we do. We're doing this, we see that it works, it's better, we want you all to use it as well. Uh, and then the other thing that they get is deep empathy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, having the common understanding is, is a huge plus uh, from Scrum going both ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like to say Scrum is very simple, but it's not easy. Right. And so if leadership is, is using it, they'll start to understand that, oh, this, this stuff is hard. And they'll start to understand what sort of, you know, support uh, the people in their organization are going to need in order to be successful. Yeah, I think what we have seen is that that the more visibility the leadership has in the Scrum process itself, uh, the the more chances of successful transformation are in that bigger scheme of things. So from that point of view, uh, where do you see leadership working? Uh, you know, attending some of the Scrum or Agile training? Ah, so my my preference, right, my 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 wish is always that they would come out and, uh, you know, uh, start with like a two-day certified Scrum Master workshop because I think that, you know, that really is an excellent end-to-end, -end, you know, what is Scrum, how do you do it, why does it work, you know, kind of an experience. I've had a few leaders uh, do that. Uh, but honestly, more commonly, uh, I found that, you know, leadership teams, executive teams in particular, um, their time is just so precious that, uh, you know, if we can get a half day to a day of their time, yeah, we're, yeah. we're doing really well. Exactly. And, and so and so, you know, we, we have executive uh, workshops that we've created that are really targeted at, you know, at a bare minimum. What do these people need to know, right? They may not actually need to know all of the nitty-gritty details about things like, oh, how does the team estimate and, and, and stuff like that, but they certainly need to know um, 
what are the like gozindas and gozadas, right? Like if you're working yeah. with scrum teams, uh, how do you work with them, right? What are the right things to be requesting of them? Mm -hmm. And what are the right things to be paying attention to and measuring? Yeah, I think the the, uh, the expectations and the measurements to look out for uh, is really the key that leadership need to understand. But I agree with you that you know having even half a day and uh, getting to that higher level concept uh, in training for agile, I think that that does pay off quite a bit. Um, in creating the what we call like a safe environment and and that that helps a lot to the teams also although uh, my experience has been that the leadership picks up all the buzzwords like backlog and sprints and don't really have a good feeling for it so beyond the training if they're really adopting that approach i can see why that would make a huge difference yeah absolutely Absolutely right. You're kind of going beyond just a surface level uh, appreciation of it, you know, and getting into that kind of felt sense of, wow, this is what it really is to do it. So speaking of that, what would be the typical things that go on their backlog? <laughs> um, I love that one. So uh, here's where you're going to find out that you are conversing with an expert consultant. Because, you know, as an expert consultant, it's important that we always have the right answers, right? That's what our clients look to us for. And uh, so uh, so here we go. Um, it depends. <laughs> so, which is, of course, always the right answer when you're a consultant. But here, Absolutely. Here's, here's perhaps a more useful version of it depends. Uh, so we start with... Uh, why are they why are they even going down this path right why why do you want to do a scrum adoption and we'll help them identify you know that there's some value that they're going after maybe they're trying to improve time to market maybe they're trying to improve quality maybe they're trying to improve morale and retention um, and then from there we start to identify well what are some you know deliverables uh, that they want to work towards and then take those as stories and start to split them. Um, also, you know, kind of at a tactical level, uh, assuming that they're like, yeah, we're doing this, we, you know, we're, we're going to adopt Scrum. Uh, we've got decisions to make about, well, you know, are we going to do a pilot first? Do you want to do it all at once kind of thing? You know, honestly, my recommendation is typically do a pilot because you're going to learn a lot about uh, what are the impediments to Scrum in your organization by getting a couple of teams up and running and, and doing it? So then you have to select, well, who are the members of those teams? Um, you know, who's going to be product owner? Who's going to be uh, Scrum master for those teams? Uh, you know, let's... Yeah, let's... And, and it also gives them the idea of what would it take to get it done end-to-end -end so that they have, like... Know, different teams to be engaged I mean, in marketing all the way to the DevOps and support. So just to see what that means, I agree with you that that's a huge benefit to the leadership. Yeah. And then and then the interesting thing is, is just as with building a product, you kind of discover what the work is by doing the work as a leadership team starts to do the work. They will discover what the work is. And sometimes the work is this like little pedestrian stuff that is uh, so important. So for, for example, uh, two weeks ago, 
Uh, I was on a call with one of the clients we're, we're doing this with right now. And they're, you know, they we're bringing in a coach that we work with a lot to, to work with them. And they want me to, you know, do some, some work with them as well. And they wanted us to, you know, be on some of the calls with the executive team. It's like, okay, great. Uh, but that team uses a, uh, you know, in-house, you know, video meeting system. And, oh, well, we outsiders don't have access to that. And so literally an item that got pushed onto their backlog was they have to find a way to, to get us access to that, mm-hmm. you know, get, a, get accounts created and stuff like that. And, you know, that seems like such a small thing. And yet it's such a huge enabler for getting the communication flowing, right? It's, it's basically removing an impediment. Yep. And that is, you know, that's the sort of thing that, you know, that ends up on their backlog. They've got the big strategic level things and then they've got these little tactical things that turn out to be just as important, right? Because otherwise they're blocking progress on the big thing. Yeah, I think that that actually uh, visualizes the limitations of what teams can do and where they need help for assistance or any of the log log jam removal type of things from the leadership. But I think that's the visual visualization of where the problems are and how to get this uh, the so the flow. Uh, I think that's that that's very important for them to uh, realize. So then the next cycle becomes a lot more easier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Uh, so one of the key aspects. Um, that you had mentioned was that you know the prioritizing the activities to deliver, and so that we get the most value, and uh, not doing the work of little value. So can you give some uh, uh, thoughts on, on your thoughts on that prioritization and what kind of? <laughs> um, I think we see that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. One of one of the things that is nearly universal is uh, you know when we, when we go into work with a client. They have, they're always trying to do too much in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the problem is everything on their list are all good things, right? There's not one of them that you wouldn't look at and go, oh, that's a really good thing. We should do that. And of course, the trick is all teams have limited capacity, even, exactly. the, you know, even that leadership team. And yeah. it helps them to understand that the teams underneath them and the portfolio of uh, things that they're they want those those teams to to deliver, um, you know there is finite capacity, and so prioritization, like ruthless prioritization, uh, is a key to success. And one of the drivers of that is having not only effort estimates on each deliverable, but value estimates. Uh, mm-hmm. So what? And one of the things that we teach um, our clients, and, and we teach it in our certified Scrum product owner workshop. Uh, as well, is uh, business value estimation techniques. Uh, One of my favorites is called the business value estimation game, and it is an adaptation of a technique that uh, a good friend of mine uh, and former former Agile Learning Labs uh, person, uh, Steve Bachman, uh, invented. His is called the team estimation game. It's fabulous for getting teams to estimate effort, and, and we teach that, too, to teams, you know, the development teams. But the business value estimation game takes the same mechanics right. and applies it to value. And so you gather stakeholders together 
And basically they ordered these deliverables from least valuable to most valuable. And along the way, they're going to have conversations to discover like, well, what do we consider value to be, right? What, what is value here? Um, and then once they get an ordering, then we go back and we lay the Fibonacci scale over the top of it. And we say, okay, if this is the least valuable of all. Let's call it a one. Yep. And then, you know, where do things start to be twice as valuable and three times as valuable and five times, et cetera, et cetera. And that really helps because it starts to make the prioritization process much more rational. Um, yeah. It takes the emotion out of it. Yeah. And, and on one hand, you can't really take the emotion out, but it helps to it helps give the rational mind more leverage. Mm -hmm. So so that when people are seeing the things that aren't going to make the cut, right? Given the capacity that we have, we can only go this far into our backlog, say in the next quarter, uh, and they see the things that are below the line, and the emotion kicks in because they have the sense like, oh my God, but we have to do those things. Yeah, and and it at least allows us to, you know, engage in kind of more rational conversation about, well, but the things above the line are more valuable than these, right? So if we can't do it all, we should really make sure we do these. Um, and it, again, sounds simple and logical, but boy, once the you get human beings involved and our emotions get flowing, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, I think that's like you know, the analogy that we always use is uh, pushing a watermelon through the garden hose. <laughs> uh, so you need to see what the size of the pipe is and then make sure that I mean it's a uh, analogous to reducing the batch size and those kind of things so that yeah. you, know, you know the actual things start flowing through the system but yeah I, I think that's a uh, I think we we had talked about certain uh, uh, techniques also similar to that is like cost of delay and mm. coming up with those so yeah very several ways but I like the idea of, of Actually, it looks like that that comes out like a bubble sort. Things starts bubbling up to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. That's great. So you spoke about emotions, and leaders usually have very strong personalities, type A people, and so on. So I'm wondering if um, you've noticed behaviors where they really have personal agendas and. The members of a group, but are they really working as a team in the way that with a scrum team, we want them to act as a, a unit with a common mission and collaborating and helping each other and so on. So what have you seen at the executive team typically? Yeah, um, all of that that you just said. So very often these people are you know, very powerful, very charismatic, uh, and, and you know, have been really good at pushing their agendas and getting things done. Uh, and that's kind of how they rose to the level that they are. Um, and that's super awesome and valuable. And uh, if they're not working towards a common set of goals, um, you can, you know, a, a leadership team that is at cross purposes will will have an organization that is at cross purposes. Um, one of my favorite resources for this, something that I've used uh, uh, multiple times with leadership teams, is uh, the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm. And um, it's a it's a fabulous book. It's about an executive team. It's um, 
uh, business fiction, uh, meaning it's a it's a story, right? It's like a novel, but it's it was crafted to to kind of share this theory uh, that the author has about you know what are these five key dysfunctions and how do you go about addressing them. Uh, and there's there's a workbook companion, and I've actually used some of the exercises from that uh, in my kind of coaching work with with leadership teams, and I, I found it super useful. What is the name of the book, please? Uh, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's actually a, a really good book, and I've seen all of the dysfunctions. <laughs> <laughs> I think from the the coach's point of view or even the the team's point of view is that you know how to um, make those uh, dysfunctions visible in a, a lot more conducive way so that they are not offended but the leadership is not offended. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because like you say, they are human beings. They have egos, uh, just like all all of us do. Mm -hmm. And um, I I. Honestly, I think one of the things that leads to growth in leadership, meaning like more effective leadership uh, in the organization, is helping those people to do their own like personal development growth, right? And it's it's really uh, my my friend uh, Michael Sahota, who does a lot of uh, coaching work and and you know coaching around organizational transformation. Uh, he always he always likes to say. As a leader, if you want your organization to change, first you must change. Interesting. And and, and it's there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, we also ask, you know, even for the like retrospective, we also ask the team says, or oh, if you want to make a suggestion, what will you do to make the that change happen? All of a sudden, the the dialogue changes. But I like the idea of having leadership. What are they going to change in their life or their approach? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a that's an awesome uh, question to be asked. Well, it's not only that, but Michael also says that when you go into an organization to help them, it's the leadership that owns the transformation. It's not the coach or the consultant. So you're really helping them understand what they need to do in order to help the organization. Yes, yes, he's he's. Uh... I, I love his where the, the place that he comes from uh, mm -hmm. when when he's when he's coaching a, a transformation. Chris, I think two months back we had the meetup. I forget the name of the gentleman. He was like, you know, he was also another coach, and he said, you know, he when his assignment is done as agile coach, he goes back two months later and find out how are they doing when you are not there. Ah, that, yes. That was uh, Llewellyn Falco. Yeah, is, he is amazing guy. He is an amazing technical coach, and he works with the technical teams. Um, and at a surface level, you know, organizations bring him in to help the teams improve their technical practices. What he actually does is use a create a shared focus on improving technical practices. Uh, to actually help the team come together and become a better team. And yeah. they don't even realize that at first that that's what's going on. Uh, and, and it's really amazing. And, yeah, and, and, uh, and one of the things he mentioned, as you were saying, you know, he makes sure that they 
own the process they own the technique instead of him telling them to do something yeah it's he yeah he says it's more more important what happens when he's not there correct than what happens when he's there yeah yeah so given all this uh, discussion about uh, the types of individuals who would be in a leadership team and especially in the early days i assume that the retrospectives uh, would be very interesting with probably a lot of finger pointing. <laughs> so what have you actually seen when the teams are trying to follow all the, the ceremonies? Yeah, retrospectives uh, for an executive team. Uh, it, I see the same patterns that I see on development teams. So one of the patterns I see, it's an anti-pattern, is, oh, we're too busy for that. <laughs> and, and, and of course, they think they're special, Right. They're like, we understand that it's important for our development teams to hold these retrospectives because, you know, that's how they'll improve and we want them to improve. But, you know, we, the executive team, uh, things are different here. We're really busy here. And so we don't have time for this retrospective thing. And I, I always kind of laugh because, you know, if you go down and talk to the development teams, what are they going to tell you? They're going to say, oh, my goodness, the executives are asking so much from us. And there's, you know, so many deadlines and we're so busy and we don't have time for a retrospective. Uh, so that that pattern is there. Um, and uh, the other pattern that I see is, uh, oh, the problem is outside of this team. We need these other people to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. at the executive team, it's like, oh, well, our transformation plan is good but people just aren't following it yeah <laughs> and you know down at the team level right they're like well our team is good but you know our stakeholders or executives don't understand and they're not supporting us in the way that we need and you know you already called it out uh, earlier in our conversation the thing that i bring them back to is well what can you do okay to okay. make it better yeah. Right. And yeah. and at the executive level, uh, I, I always have the 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 lever, uh, if you will, of pointing out that if the people in your organization are not behaving in the ways that you think they should be behaving, it's pretty much always because of the system that you, the leaders, have created. Because hmm. hu human beings were remarkable when when we're engaging in dysfunctional behaviors. Uh, it, it's almost always because if you really look very locally uh, okay. for, for each individual, it's actually a functional behavior for them. Given the system and the environment that they find themselves in, doing that thing is actually functional for them, even though in the grand scheme of things, it's not functional. Yeah, and I think that that's what we see always is like a, there is a local optimization and it, the whole thing gets lost in the uh, global optimization so people are uh, get the uh, kind of a metaphor is like you know you are you were running a motorcycle race now uh, you have to go with the uh, you know blue angels so everyone <laughs> is, is a unison you cannot just do it your own thing and uh, that that's resonates with them saying oh so we need to work with everybody else, huh? <laughs> kind of. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that there, there, there is always a local optimization that I'm good, you are not. 
So I'm uh, very curious at a very tactical level um, when you have the leadership using Scrum, who acts as a Scrum master? Is it you or do you train someone, maybe a chief of staff to do it? How does that work? It depends. So early on, uh, we may, you know, we may be providing that role. Uh, we may be having one of the, um, we have like these these awesome people, we call them associate coaches. They're, they're people that aren't Agile Learning Labs employees, but we've worked with them a lot over the years and we think they're awesome. And, you know, they would, you know, actually go on site and kind of be there with the client pretty much every day. And so sometimes it's somebody like that. Um, but really what we always want to do is say, okay, well, this could help get you started. But what we really want to happen is for you to identify who's the right internal person right. to be that scrum master and let's support them in stepping into that role or just support them right out of the gate in, in being in that role. And my advice is always, who is the best scrum master in your organization? That's the person I want to be the scrum master for that executive team. And it may well be someone who's multiple levels farther down on the org chart, but they're the best scrum master we've got. And this is probably the most important scrum team that we have. And so, you know, that's who should be our scrum master. And one of the things that gets really interesting is it helps the the members of that executive team start to really understand well, what is a scrum master, right? Scrum master is not the boss. It's not the project manager. Um, they don't have any direct authority to tell anybody to do anything by and large. Um, they're a coach, they're a teacher. And so it's interesting to watch these executive teams as they get the experience of really being held by a skilled facilitator, someone who doesn't have uh, uh, a position in the whatever the argument is or whatever the difficulty is, but someone who's just really skilled at helping those people come together and work effectively. And of course, somebody who is an expert in Scrum that can really help them yeah. understand Oh, so, how so the, the yeah the, the 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 technical term for that person is that they don't have any dog in the fight. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that said. <laughs> I, heard but that. no, it, it is true that they they become uh, like an honest broker of that whole system and uh, create a environment or, or at least go-to person so that these can people can open up to that person to get the things done. But I like that idea of having a independent uh, within the organization who, who knows the business and the sides of things. And uh, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, this this was really great. So much to think about. Chris, again, thank you so much for joining us for this uh, conversation. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? The best way to get in touch with me is through the Agile Learning Labs website, which is, of course, agilelearninglabs.com. And they'll find you know, our contact page and a bunch of resources, our, our blog, all sorts of good stuff there. And, and I would suggest also the meetup that you uh, organize in the Bay Area in San Mateo. Uh, that has been very helpful from my point of view. 
you get some really great people to talk to uh, the audience. So I like that one too. Yes, yeah. For people who are in the Bay Area, definitely come out to the Scrum Professional San Mateo meetup. And for the you know many listeners that I know you have that are all over the world, uh, my advice is go find your local user group or meetup group. Uh, there's there's a lot to be said about finding your community and connecting with others who are who are doing this and learning about this. And if if you don't find that you have a local user group or meetup group, start one. It's, exactly. It's not that hard. It really isn't. Great. We'll put uh, links in the show notes to the meetup and your books and uh, your website. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to send us your feedback on the podcast. We have a survey link in the show notes. So, again, thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it. And bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye.